Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Bodhidharma's Bloodstream Sermon, Part 3. Ultimate truth is beyond words. Buddha is Sanskrit for what you call aware, miraculously aware. Responding, perceiving, arching your brows, blinking your eyes, moving your hands and feet. It's all your miraculously aware nature. And this nature is the mind. And the mind is the Buddha. And the Buddha is the path. And the path is Zen. But the word Zen is one that remains a puzzle to both mortals and sages. Seeing your nature is Zen. Unless you see your nature, it's not Zen. The ultimate truth is beyond words. Doctrines are words, they're not the way. The way is wordless. Words are illusions. They're no different from things that appear in your dreams at night, be they palaces or carriages, forested parks or lakeside pavilions. Don't conceive any delight for such things. They're all cradles of rebirth. Keep this in mind when you approach death. Don't cling to appearances and you'll break through all barriers. A moment's hesitation and you'll be under the spell of devils. Your real body is pure and impervious, but because of delusions, you're unaware of it. And because of this, you suffer karma in vain. Wherever you find delight, you find bondage. But once you awaken to your original body and mind, you're no longer bound by attachments. Anyone who gives up the transcendent for the mundane in any of its myriad forms is a mortal. A Buddha is someone who finds freedom in good fortune and bad. Such is her power that karma can't hold her. No matter what kind of karma, a Buddha transforms it. Heaven and hell are nothing to her. But the awareness of a mortal is dim compared to that of a Buddha who penetrates everything inside and out. Once mortals see their nature, all attachments end. Awareness isn't hidden, but you can only find it now. It's only now. If you really want to find the way, don't hold on to anything. 
once you put an end to karma and nurture your awareness, any attachments that remain will come to an end. Understanding comes naturally. You don't have to make any effort. But fanatics don't understand what the Buddha meant. And the harder they try, the farther they get from the sage's meaning. All day long, they invoke Buddhas and read sutras. But they remain blind to their own divine nature. And they don't escape the wheel. Good afternoon, everybody. It's a cold, cold day. Beautiful. The sun shining in so brightly, I had to hang something behind me to block out the light. Just an absolutely gorgeous day, but freezing. So I'm continuing on with Bodhidharma today. Um, I was under the delusion that tomorrow, January 16th, is Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. Um, that's not true, it's today. So happy birthday, Martin Luther King. And perhaps if I had not been under that delusion, I would have gone with Martin Luther King's text today rather than waiting until tomorrow. But I think perhaps it's just as well as the culmination of this brief weekend session to finish with the words and example of Dr. King. So continuing on with Bodhidharma, the bloodstream sermon. Buddha is Sanskrit for what you call aware, miraculously aware. Buddha, of course, when we say Buddha, most of the time we are referring to the historical figure, Siddhartha Gautama Shakyamuni Buddha. But Buddha is and honorific. And rather than denoting a deity, a diva, some fantastical creature, some marvelous being that comes to save us all, Buddha simply means aware or awake. When you are aware, you are 
revealing your Buddha nature. And Bodhidharma says, responding, perceiving, arching your brows, blinking your eyes, moving your hands and feet. It's all your miraculously aware nature. Moving with clarity of mind, moving with presence, responding with your whole being, your whole awareness. That in itself is the Buddha nature. And this nature is the mind. And the mind is the Buddha. Mbazo Zenji used to say, this very mind is the Buddha. And later in life, he said, no mind, no Buddha. This nature is the mind and the mind is the Buddha. And the Buddha is the path. As you walk the path, you walk the path as a Buddha. Although you think perhaps that there is a beginning, a middle, and an end of the path. That there are eight steps in the eightfold path. Right understanding, right resolve, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right energy or zeal, right meditation, right mindfulness, right wisdom. You may think that somehow these things follow one after the other and that to get to the end of the path, to achieve this wisdom, this mindfulness, this meditation, then you'll be a Buddha. But no, only a Buddha can walk the path of a Buddha. Only in awareness can you take the first step. And the first step and the last step are not two separate steps. And the path is Zen. The Buddha is the path and the path is Zen. These are Bodhidharma's words, not my words. The Buddha is the path 
The mind is the Buddha. The path is Zen. The path leads back to Buddha and Buddha walks the path. And the path that Buddha walks is Zen. But the word Zen is one that remains a puzzle to both mortals and sages. What do we mean by Zen? In a technical sense, it's very simple. Zen is the Japanese alliteration of the Chinese word Chan, which is the Chinese alliteration of the Sanskrit word Jana, which means meditation. And so you can think Zen means sitting, Zazen. But Zen is much more than that. Zen is awareness. The path of awareness, the path of Buddhahood. Seeing your nature is Zen. Seeing your nature, knowing that you are Buddha, that you are aware. This is Zen. Unless you see your nature, it's not Zen. No awareness, no Zen. Ultimate truth is beyond words. Doctrines are words. They're not the way. Which is not to say that words have no heart in this practice of Zen. But words can be a trap. Words give us such concepts as the three marks of existence, impermanence, Dukkha, not self, or anatta, shunyata. Wonderful concepts, wonderful words. They give us the delineation of the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths and the Four Great Vows and the six paramitas and on and on and on, all of the wonderful concepts that serve as a kind of map into the mystery of this existence, this Buddhahood.
But the map is not the path. The map is only a poor representation of reality. There's a chapter of the Chuang Tzu, which some of you may know Chuang Tzu or Zhuang Zhu, one of the great minds of Taoism who lived quite a bit before Bodhidharma. Bodhidharma lived from the middle of the fourth century to the first half of the fifth century of the common era. Zhuangzhu lived about 800 years earlier. To put it in perspective, that's about 200 years after Shakyamuni Buddha, after Confucius, after Lao Tzu, the other great name in Taoism. He lived around the same time as Aristotle. So quite some time ago. He is given credit for the book by the same name, Chuang Tzu, although it's thought that he probably only wrote the beginning of it. And this is one of the chapters of that book translated by Stephen Mitchell. When speaking to people, you must use words to explain that reality is beyond words. You must point to non-being through being and describe the whole through names for the separate parts. Show them that naming separates and that each thing isn't really itself. But don't use a finger directly to show that it's not a finger. Use a non-finger and they'll see that a finger isn't a finger. Don't use a horse directly to show that it's not a horse. Use a non-horse and they'll see that a horse isn't a horse. Heaven and earth are one finger. The 10,000 things are one horse. So if a finger isn't a finger, what is this thing we call a finger? This finger. The finger relies on the brain, relies on the hand, relies on sensation, Without the brain, 
without the heart to pump blood, without nerve endings, without some object to contact hot, cold, wet, dry, soft, hard. Without all of this, the finger is nothing. A stick, perhaps, and nothing more. Heaven and earth are one finger. There is nothing which is not the finger. And the finger is connected to everything. The word finger is an illusion. It's a trick, a way for us to think that we understand. And it's a useful trick. It helps us to make sense of a world which is beyond sense and beyond nonsense. But the word, whether the word is finger or the word is eightfold path or four noble truths or dukkha or nirvana, the word is an illusion. These words are no different from things that appear in your dreams at night, Bodhidharma says. They're no different from the palaces or carriages forested parks or lakeside pavilions that might come to you in your dreams. Nor are they different from the dreams of terror that some of us have from time to time, the dreams of anxiety, of fear, the dreams that make us wake in the night, clutching our pillow, wondering where we are. Perhaps we can recognize in the words that lift up our ego, and the words that tear it down, 
the words that embarrass us, the words that infuriate us, that illusions have power. but only to the extent that we allow them to. Bodhidharma says, don't conceive any delight for such things, but also don't conceive any terror of such things. Don't conceive fear, don't conceive anger, These illusions have power to the extent that we allow them to have power. They're all cradles of rebirth. Keep this in mind when you approach death. Keep this in mind when you approach any of the boundaries of duality, life and death, good and bad, honor and disgrace, fear and courage. In Hakuin's Song of Zazen says, when will, be, when will we be able to be free from birth and death? Free from birth and death. Bodhidharma says, this nature this miraculously aware nature is the mind and the mind is the Buddha and the Buddha is the path and the path is Zen. In the path of Zen, there is no birth and death. sitting on the cushion, chopping vegetables. Shouting moo. Birth and death are just words. Keep this in mind when you approach death. Don't cling to appearances and you'll break through all barriers. A moment's hesitation and you'll be under the spell of devils. 
one of the advantages of doing Zoom Dharma talks as opposed to real life is that I can drink whatever I like. And this is coffee. A moment's hesitation and you'll be under the spell of devils. Devils don't have to be imaginary creatures. Devils don't have horns. Devils don't carry pitchforks. Devils take the form of the three poisons they take the form of ambition they take the form of addiction and not just addiction to drugs or alcohol but addiction to material objects money fame social media. Don't cling to appearances, don't cling to words, don't cling to addictions. And you'll break through all obstacles. Your real body is pure and impervious. Your real body is like that finger that is not a finger. You think that you are limited by this sack of skin and this pile of bones and that this is your body. You think that pain is pain and pleasure is pleasure. but your real body is pure and impervious. Your real body doesn't have limitations. It is connected in ways that may seem impossible to believe. to all other bodies and minds. It's like when you go to the beach,
and you see waves coming in. You may associate your body and your mind and the reality of this moment with one of those waves. Perhaps a moment of joy is the crest of the wave. A moment of sadness, of doubt and confusion is the trough of the wave. But you are not the wave, you are the ocean. And the wave is just what you see on the surface. Down below, there is infinite depth and peace. There's a, a poem by Hafiz called, If You Don't Stop That. I used to live in a cramped house with confusion and pain. But then I met the friend and started getting drunk and singing all night. Confusion and pain started acting nasty, making threats with talk like this. If you don't stop that, all that fun, we're leaving. I used to live in a cramped house with confusion and pain. That is such a wonderful way of explaining dukkha, delusion, ignorance. Confusion and pain. How many of us sit in Zazen with confusion and pain? And our bodies seem to be screaming. Or we walk about when we get off the cushion with confusion and pain. pain of conditions that we would not have chosen for ourselves, conditions that are tragic, baffling, 
and we come to Zazen thinking that we will somehow escape this confusion and pain. And we sit on the cushion and it hurts. It hurts. And our mind is slow and twisted and contorted. We're sleepy, we're absent, we're bored, we're confused. I used to live in a cramped house. This cramped house is five foot six and 130 pounds or six foot two and 230 pounds or five foot three and 105 pounds. However tall you are, however much you weigh, the house may seem very cramped. Your mind may seem very cramped, full of confusion. A woe is me mind. Why are things this way and not some other way? Why do I have to work this hard? Why do those I love have to suffer? This is the human condition, confusion and pain. But then I met the friend. The friend is Hafiz's favorite expression for God, for the divine nature. I met the friend, I met the Buddha, I met my own true nature. I had a moment of clarity. I had a moment in which confusion and pain shone with a glorious light. And started getting drunk and singing all night. The joy of finding one's own true nature. the peace, the ecstasy of seeing clearly, of losing the boundaries, of having one's heart open, having one's mind open, of realizing aware, miraculously aware, 
confusion and pain started acting nasty, making threats with talk like this. If you don't stop that, all that fun, we're leaving. Let them leave. Your real body is pure and impervious, but because of delusion, you're unaware of it. You think pain is just pain. And because of this, you suffer karma in vain. Wherever you find delight, you find bondage. That's an interesting thing about what we call karma, colloquially, good events, bad events, good fortune, bad fortune. I'm a very lucky person. I'm a very unlucky person. Bad things are always happening to me. Good things are always happening to me. But whenever you find delight, you find bondage. Whatever you can attach to becomes a manacle, a shackle. Good fortune? Maybe. But if you become attached to it, it's simply bondage, simply another addiction. But once you awaken to your original body and mind, you're no longer bound by attachments. Anyone who gives up the transcendent for the mundane in any of its myriad forms is immortal. So what makes someone immortal and what makes somebody a Buddha? Immortal is someone who is caught in duality, birth and death, this and that, good and bad. One who gives up the transcendent for the mundane, who gives up the original nature, the true nature for the labels of good and bad, fortunate, unfortunate, delight, despair. The good thing is though, as Bodhidharma told us in the same sermon earlier on, I spoke about this part of the bloodstream sermon during Rohatsu session. 
Whoever sees her nature is a Buddha. Whoever doesn't is a mortal. But if you can find your Buddha nature apart from your mortal nature, where is it? Our mortal nature is our Buddha nature. Beyond this nature, there's no Buddha. The Buddha is our nature. There's no Buddha besides this nature. And there's no nature besides the Buddha. That's good news. Means there's hope for you yet. It's all a matter of whether you're caught or not. A Buddha is someone who finds freedom in good fortune and bad. Fortune in and of itself is neither good nor bad. The world in and of itself is neither good nor bad. The light of awareness makes every condition a condition in which we can shine. Pain can become an energizer for the compassionate heart. Suffering can become the fuel for your practice, for realization. No matter what kind of karma, a Buddha transforms it. Heaven and hell are nothing to her. Heaven and hell are nothing to her. Heaven is a place where the Buddha mind shines. Hell is a place where the Buddha mind shines. And therefore, it is nothing to the Buddha. But the awareness of a mortal is dim compared to that of a Buddha who penetrates everything inside and out. So yeah, so if you have confusion and pain and you are suffering and things seem like they couldn't be worse, that's okay. That is your mortal nature. 
and the Buddha still is shining inside you. It's just a matter of becoming aware of the Buddha nature shining inside you. Heaven and hell are nothing to her, this Buddha. Heaven and hell are nothing to him. Heaven and hell are nothing to them. And yet heaven and hell may seem like everything to you. This is your delusion. But heaven and hell can be fuel for you to realize your Buddha nature. And so be thankful for the heaven. Be thankful for the hell without becoming attached to them, without surrendering to them, without giving up because of the pain that hell engenders, without giving up because of the delight that heaven engenders. Without being trapped, The awareness of a mortal is dim compared to that of a Buddha. But you are both mortal and Buddha. And in those times when your mortality seems most unbearable, this is when you most need to contact this Buddha nature that resides in you just as much as your mortal nature does. Once mortals see their nature, all attachments end. That sounds nice. Awareness isn't hidden. That sounds nice too. but you can only find it right now. It's only now. Which may mean that all attachments end while you're sitting on the cushion. And then you get up and suddenly Donald Trump is president not now, not now, he was. And injustice, violence, terror, pandemics, all sorts of things are coming down on top of you. And you say, what happened? I felt so good just a little while ago when I was sitting on that cushion. My Buddha nature was shining. And now everything's gone to poop. 
This is the nature of practice. You can only find it right now. It's only now. Yes, attachments come to an end. But the trick is to have that same awareness, that same clarity and openness, the same wonderful heart and mind when you're off of the cushion when you're at work, when you're riding the subway, when you're driving, when the wind is blowing cold and you can feel your body shivering, to have that same understanding of your nature, that same awareness. You can only find it right now. The awareness that you had last week, the awareness that you might have next year, they don't serve any purpose. They're besides the point. You can only find your original nature now, right now. The Diamond Sutra says you can't hold on to past mind. You can't hold on to present mind. You can't hold on to future mind. Now is beyond words. Now is beyond thought. Now is beyond doctrine. It's only now. If you really want to find the way, don't hold on to anything not to doctrine, not to theory, not to dogma, not to confusion and pain, not to bliss. Open your heart, open your mind and realize this true nature now. Once you put an end to karma and nurture your awareness, any attachments that remain will come to an end. Nurture your awareness. This is practice. Nurture your awareness. Understanding comes naturally. You don't have to make any effort. But fanatics don't understand this. And the harder they try, the farther they get from the sage's meaning. 
the more people become attached to the form of religious practice, the more they talk about God this and God that, the more they think that the rules and regulations are what matter. The more they make a fetish of the Bible or the Quran or the words of Bodhidharma or the Heart Sutra or the Diamond Sutra, the further they get from reality. Fanatics don't understand what the Buddha meant. Fanatics don't understand what Jesus Christ meant. And the harder they try, the farther they get from the sage's meaning. Which is not to say that religious practice is wrong. There is a story about Obaku, Rinzai's teacher. Obaku was phenomenally tall. Some people say he was seven feet tall, which in a time and a place where people tend to be quite short was really outstanding. And it said that he had a large callus, a red callus in the middle of his forehead from all of the prostrations that he did. He would prostrate and prostrate and prostrate and this big bump callus on his forehead was the result. And he used to tell his students, don't expect anything from the three treasures. Don't expect anything from Buddha. Don't expect anything from Dharma. Don't expect anything from the Sangha. Don't pin your hopes to anything at all. And one day one of his students saw him making prostrations. And his student didn't understand and he said, Master, you always say, don't expect anything from the three treasures. So why are you making prostrations? And Obaku said, I don't expect anything from the three treasures. I just make prostrations. There is something inside of us which needs to express gratitude, needs to express joy, needs to express the wonder of this true nature, this Buddhahood. And so we bow 
and we make prostrations, not expecting anything from Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, not making prostrations to propitiate the gods, to try to bribe them, but from the deep joy, gratitude, love that we feel the sense of oneness that we feel that is so naturally expressed in our bowing, our prostrations. This is the opposite of fanaticism. Bodhidharma says of these fanatics, all day long they invoke Buddhas and read sutras, but they remain blind to their own divine nature and they don't escape the wheel. You might just as well have said, if they remain blind to their own divine nature, as long as God is on one side of the altar and you are on the other side of the altar, you cannot escape the wheel. As long as the Buddha lived 2,500 years ago, and you are living now, you can't escape the wheel. When the Buddha lives now, that is the moment of bowing, the moment of knowing the friend, the moment in which confusion and pain say, we're leaving. And you say, see you later. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.